0: Hello and welcome to the NLP Highlights podcast where we talk about interesting work in natural language processing.
1: This is Matt Gardner and Walid Ammar. We are research scientists at the Allen Institute for Artificial Intelligence.
0: All right so today our guest is James Thorne who is a PhD student at the University of Sheffield working with Andreas Flacos. He is interested in fact checking, dabbled a little bit in semantic parsing but is more interested these days in how we know what things are correct. Uh, Welcome to the podcast James.
2: Thank you. It's great to be here. Uh, Honored to be among so many good guests on this season.
0: So uh, the paper we'll, we'll be talking about is called Fever, a large-scale data set for fact extraction and verification. So James, can you tell us about what the motivation is for building this data set?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, so a large number of systems that we use today, information that is extracted from the web. Uh, so you can imagine semantic search or question answering on your digital personal system. Uh, these may be limited by the breadth or the bre- oh. The breadth of information we can answer may be limited by the sources we get this information from. Being able to use a greater diversity of sources should allow us to answer a greater depth of questions. A breadth of questions, sorry. Even though sites like Wikipedia have moderation policies, it's possible that user-generated content uh, may be published that isn't accurate or consistent with our view of the world. Uh, so rather than focusing on what we extract, we focus on verifying the sources we extract them from uh, to uh, allow these systems to kind of be able to answer a broader range of questions.
0: I see. So this sounds similar to something like fake news detection. I know this has been in the the news a lot recently. People have been thinking about this. I've talked to people that are working on this kind of thing. How how does what you're working on fit into this whole fake news thing?
2: Okay. So our motivation isn't just fake news. And we should be a bit careful talking about the term fake news uh, by itself. Our motivation in this work is to identify misinformation. And that's where inaccurate facts may be published. Information can be used to mislead the, the reader or the public. Uh, okay. But in this work, we kind of focus on the encyclopedic domain for work and try and avoid news as well. Uh, you know, dealing with journalism requires a large volume of world knowledge, which kind of isn't captured to the same degree uh, in a machine readable format that we have in Wikipedia.
0: I see. So you're, you're less interested in people that are actually trying to deceive you than did someone make a mistake? Is that, is that fair? That's correct. So how it then? Because I feel like I've seen a bunch of data sets related to this. Why do we need a new one? What's different about yours?
2: Yeah, it's great great that this uh, area has become an exciting exciting topic to research. So I think when we consider available resources, there's like three axes. Uh, We need to look at kind of the inputs, and that's whether we're dealing with textual claims, uh, triples or entire documents, the evidence that's used or not. Uh, So that might be machine-readable text. It might be tables or a knowledge graph. And how well we trust that evidence. And then the decision that's made, like is it a binary decision or are we turning like a justification or like a, a point score? Um, so we, we've seen many new data sets arising in this field. Uh, so last year we saw the the fake news challenge from Dean Pomelo and delete brown which modeled fact checking as part of stance classification. It's kind of similar to textual uh, entailment. And then last year at ACR, we saw William Wang publish his fake news data set as well. Our data set kind of is challenging with respect to some of these axes, predominantly with the fact that you have to find the right evidence in order to verify whether something's true or false. In the fake news challenge, the data is provided kind of in pairs and the systems just have to do a classification. But uh, I think being able to reason about what information is needed to verify a source is very challenging and still an open research problem.
0: Yeah, interesting. I, I thought about this a bit a while ago. Turns out, one of the first episodes we did on this podcast was a paper that was trying to find news article citations for for statements in Wikipedia. So this sounds like a similar kind of idea, right? I have some collection of news articles, or in your case, encyclopedia documents, and I have some claim that I want to find a source for. And in that case, uh, you're just like, what what news article should I cite? which implicitly says that news article should like entail the claim, right? This is kind of the same problem. Do, you, mm-hmm. do Would you would you distinguish this? Like how is this different or the same? Yeah,
2: it's a really interesting paper, and I wish I'd known more about it earlier. Uh, but I think in that paper, they highlight two challenges. The first is being able to identify sentences which require set citations. And this is a, a problem in our domain as well, right? Claimworthiness or detection. But then the other challenge is finding the right citation. And this is similar to the challenges presented in Fever. So I think this work uh, kind of identifies articles that can be used as citations for claims. Um, In that paper, there's two challenges. First, identifying sentences that require citations, and then for those sentences, finding the right citation. And finding the right citation is a very similar challenge to Fever. But in their work, they only really focus on the positive examples where you can find supporting articles. In fever, we've got both correct information and incorrect information. Our new challenge is to be able to find evidence to refute a claim or to state where we don't have enough information to make a fully informed decision. Yeah, that's really
0: interesting. Um, yeah. I, I, I definitely think your data set is, is new and different and, and, and interesting on its own. I just think it's interesting to think about like how else could you get supervision for this kind of thing? Could you make your data collection a little easier by leveraging these existing sources? um if you have a model that works well on this data on your data could you also use it for something like citation finding it's interesting to think about these things i've wondered as an interesting task maybe i could take all of the news articles not wikipedia articles to find citations but like in a news article if there's been a series of coverage on a particular topic could you automatically link to previous articles either to help journalists or to help readers if the citations are missing like there are a lot of interesting things you can do not just with this like fact verification but are similar along the same lines. That's really interesting.
2: As a, a small follow-up, I think one of the interesting challenges with Fever is rather than finding uh, just relevant sentences as you do with the information retrieval task, we, we want to find kind of a, a diverse set of evidence, which kind of as a provides more thorough background than just things by themselves.
1: So it might be easier for the listeners to like keep up with this conversation if they actually know what uh, how the data set was constructed. Could you give us a brief overview of how you construct the dataset? I'll first describe
2: what the uh, dataset looks like, and then I'll go on to say how we constructed it. So the dataset is 185,000 claims. These are human-written, factoid sentences, which may be true or false. And then for each claim, we've annotated at a sentence level from other Wikipedia pages, sentences which can be used as evidence to support or refute these claims. And then we have a a third option, which is not enough information, where we can't find any sentences to fully support or fully refute these claims. So in our case, a claim is a factoid sentence, and this would have been extracted from a sentence from Wikipedia. Annotators were given a sentence at random from 50,000 most popular pages last year in August, and annotators were asked to extract uh, simple facts, one per sentence. So you can imagine a sentence containing saying uh Keanu Reeves is an American actor director who started in the Matrix and was born in October. There are multiple facts. So the annotator would extract one per sentence so that's easy for or simple for scoring. Then we have a second stage of annotation where we mutate these true facts into facts which we don't know are true or false. So there's six mutation types the annotator was asked to do. This is everything from negation, generalization, making the fact more specific paraphrasing substituting entities etc and so now we've got a set of facts or claims which we don't know which are true or false and that's where the, the second annotation phase happens where a different annotator without knowledge of where the original sentence was generated from or where the original facts was generated from is
1: asked to find the evidence by labeling sentences which support or refute that claim so the first one includes both identifying a fact and also creating an alternative, like another fact that kind of can be derived from it uh, or that contradicts it. Is that right?
2: Yes. Uh, So the first is to extract the original claim, to extract the claims from the original sentence. And the second stage is to mutate it to a
1: point where we don't
2: know it's true or false.
1: So uh, the final product is a set of instances, and each instance contains one claim and one evidence, either in favor or against.
2: There are cases where
1: a fact may, or a claim may not
2: be able to be fully supported or refuted by just one sentence so 20% of our data approximately contains multiple sentences as evidence and this would be where these sentences have to be combined together in order to fully support or fully refute a claim an example of this might be phil collins is a gemini so to answer to fully support or refute this we need to first look at phil collins's birthday which we see uh, maybe in may And then we also need to go to Gemini and look
1: at what date range a Gemini would be. So in order to construct this example, uh, the first phase of the annotation, the, the annotator needed to identify these two facts and combine them when they're writing the claim. Is that right?
2: That corresponds just to the evidence finding. So with the claim, the annotator wouldn't know whether it's true or
1: false. I see. So in the claim generation, the only used one of the facts, and they may not be any of the facts that are actually end up in the in the dataset. Is that right? Shall I clarify this again? I, I think you might have
2: misinterpreted what I said. There's two stages of claim generation, and then one a further stage claim verification. So in the claim generation step, uh, the annotator first extracts claims which are true from Wikipedia. The second stage of this is to mutate the claims. So we don't know if it's true or false. And the annotator is doing this by following like six types of mutations, such as negation or paraphrasing, entity substitution, et cetera. At that point, we've got a pool of claims which we don't know are true or false. And these form the claims in our data set. The next part is where the annotators or a different set of annotators are labeling the, the claims by selecting evidence from other pages uh, without knowledge of where the, the claim is generated from.
1: Yes, yes. Makes sense. Thank you.
0: What corpus are you looking at when you're generating evidence? What what can the annotators actually use as evidence to decide if the claim is true or false?
2: Yeah. So all the facts in this dataset can be answered using Wikipedia. I think it'd be important to consider different sources in an in a open world setting, but We want our experiments to be closed world in a way which is repeatable uh, in this experimental setting. So our modeling decision was to treat the Wikipedia corpus as correct with respect to evidence. And the challenge we present is to find the evidence in supporting or refuting sentences to back up a claim, which was generated from Wikipedia.
0: Yeah, so I guess you're assuming that you have some corpus, that you um, assume everything in that corpus is correct, for better or for worse, right? Yes, in my PhD we worked on the never ending language learning project where we were trying to extract information from the web and we thought a lot about, well, what if there's wrong information on the web and there's plenty of it and so you have to think about well, what sources should I trust? We didn't actually address that problem in Nell, but we thought about it a lot.
1: And I think
2: and
0: here it, here you're saying this is we're we're just setting that problem aside because it's hard, right? Yeah.
2: I think verifying the source of the information is important, but it's a orthogonal research problem. Right. And there's many ways you could go about verifying the source. So you could verify the content in the source, you could verify the originator of the source, or you could verify the, the style in which the source was written in. And these are uh, covered in a number of related works, such as speaker profiling, quick bait detection, trust rank, uh, and subjective language detection. And so our modeling decision treated Wikipedia as correct uh, in the assumption for, and then we'd assume that uh, this um verification of source could be done in a follow-up or different work. Right. Cool.
1: I wanted to ask about the second step in the claim labeling part. Seems like a difficult task. Was this with crowdsourcing? So the annotators we had for our task were actually temporary staff of our
2: research lab. Um, so this meant we could train them professionally and we could maintain like a continuous dialogue with our annotators, making sure that Things we found difficult to annotate could be incorporated into our subsequent guidelines and allow us to continually improve our annotation procedure. And furthermore, the style or the way we generated these claims, yeah, the, the way we generated these claims, the way our annotation interface allowed the the annotators to generate the claims, uh, would have a great impact on the types of claims generated as well.
1: Uh, you mean it's easier to verify or harder to verify? In order to do
2: these mutations, the annotators have to be creative um, with the types of new information they introduce. And so by providing, or in our pilot studies, we found by providing, making something more general and making something more specific together in the annotation interface allowed the annotators to generate higher quality claims than if we just asked for one type of mutation to be done. Um, So in our annotation, we accounted about one minute for median average time for the annotators to verify a claim. And we found given this time constraint, these annotators were only able to find about 70 to 75% of the right evidence to the claim. And this, we compared this against a pool of super annotators who operated without time constraints. And, uh, Yeah, it's important for us to continually measure this when we're generating a task. And it also provides an insight into what the kind of expected human level performance would be in a time constrained setting.
0: I guess you don't really have to annotate all of that. The annotation that you really need is just does this claim, does this evidence support this claim or refute this claim? But if you want to actually measure recall over a specific corpus, then yeah, you have to be exhaustive. I, just thinking of like relation extraction or slot filling kind of work, it's not that typical that you really measure this recall in, in this particular way. So it's nice that that your data set has some nice measures of this.
2: Yes, but also to follow up, this would be like finding multiple needles in a haystack. And I think often the, the simplest explanation is always often the most right. And um, so we had to incorporate that into our guidelines where given the time constraints, Annotators were asked to select the earliest occurrence of evidence on a page or the simplest explanation, rather than these really convoluted explanations, which may be difficult for a human to understand. Interesting.
0: So another related piece of work, there's been a few papers recently from a couple of different groups that look at what they're calling annotation artifacts when you are generating text. So um, they looked at uh, this corpus called the rock stories corpus or data set called the rock stories closed data set where you have four sentences written by uh, that that are a simple story written by someone on mechanical Turk and then a fifth sentence that is either a correct continuation or a nonsensical continuation of the earlier story. And similarly, uh, uh, and, and they found that you just by looking at the last sentence, you can decide whether it's a nonsensical continuation or not, even though you shouldn't really be able to do that. Same with um, the Stanford natural language inference data set where you can get some decent performance, not not amazing performance, but you can get much better than random just by looking at the hypothesis where in this data set, given one sentence, you're supposed to conclude if it entails the other or not. And if you just look at the sentence that you're supposed to decide if it's being entailed, you can decide with some accuracy whether it's entailed or not. This work came out around the time you were building this data set, so you probably, this probably wasn't much on your mind when you were doing this. but any thoughts on how this might have affected your data set? Have you tried to measure this since this other stuff came out?
2: Yes, it's a really interesting uh, really interesting topic looking at bias in our data sets. And we have done some studies in subsequent experiments. And we find comparable to the multi-NLI data set, we can find that 50 to 55% of our claims can be answered on the hypothesis-only level if we're just looking at supported, refuted, or not enough information, or applying that label to the claims. Yeah, that's interesting. So
0: in this case, by the the setup, random, the labels are evenly split between supported, refuted, and not enough evidence, not enough info. So you have 33% chance would be random. So you can get, you said 50 or or so? So yeah, significantly above chance, but at least it's not way higher than that. So that's good.
2: Yes, and it also shows that the artifacts problem is equally as... Uh, problematic to us as the SNLI style of data datasets if we ignore the requirement for evidence. But that's not the whole story with our dataset. One of the largest challenges in our dataset is to find the right evidence which is needed to support or refute a claim. And and that's incorporated into our scoring scheme. I believe there may be other biases in that which we haven't fully observed, which aren't the same as SNLI, but may be fleshed out in subsequent experiments or as part of the shared task.
0: Oh sorry, let me back up for just a minute. You said um so from the paper you ran an experiment where you run your full model, which can access evidence. So you're given the claim, it can go look at the corpus to try to find evidence. And then given whatever evidence it finds, it, it tries to predict whether the claim is supported, refuted, or not enough in info. And in that setting where you're not evaluating whether the evidence is is good or not you get 50% accuracy. Is that right?
2: Sorry, this might require a bit more explanation as well. Um, So in our dataset, we report two types of scores. There's the label-only accuracy, and there's the conditional accuracy on finding the right evidence. So looking at the label-only accuracy, this hypothesis-only style evaluation gives us a, a score of about 50% which is comparable to the multi-NLI datasets. Uh,
0: but, I'm realizing now that we haven't even described what the baseline system does. So maybe that'd be good to talk to talk about first and then we can come back to this question. Sure. So you want to describe what the uh, what is your baseline system on this dataset? How does it work? What does it do? Okay.
2: So our baseline system is a pipeline of two components. We first retrieve the right evidence and then we do a classification as to whether the evidence supports or refutes the claim Um, once we've done that. So the evidence retrieval component is a TF-IDF-based information retrieval system. We first retrieve the right document. And then from those documents, we uh, select sentences which are relevant. And we pass those sentences into the classifier, uh, which is a decomposable attention classifier. And then to score that baseline, we have two scoring metrics. Uh, So the first scoring metric is a label accuracy, which only looks at whether we're getting the right claims supported or refuted or not enough information. And then the second metric is like a conditional label accuracy uh, on the right label given the evidence we found. Uh, so we, in our data set, we've labeled the correct evidence and we'd only give a score if we find the correct evidence and apply the correct label. How does that work when there's not enough evidence? Um, so by default, uh, not enough inform- not enough evidence claim. If we don't find any evidence, we uh, could mark that as not enough evidence. Um, But in reality, uh, with our retrieval system, we're finding noisy information from Wikipedia, which we think is right, which doesn't fully support or refute a claim. Uh, So we've had to negatively sample evidence in that case and train a three-way classifier. I see.
0: Okay, so you have a model, um, you use... There's nothing even really trained, right, for the retrieval components where you're selecting documents and then selecting
2: sentences? No, we just rank by similarity, and we learn the thresholding parameters, or we learn the the threshold, which is five documents and five sentences, through kind of a grid search on the final accuracy score.
0: Okay, so you have a model that does retrieval over the corpus to get documents and then select sentences from there, and then you run decomposable attention given the sentence to decide if the claim is entailed, not entailed, or not enough information. Yes, that's correct. Uh, Or sorry, entailed, supported, refuted, or not enough information, right? This model looks at the sentences you retrieved, right? Yes, it does. Okay, so then if I understand right, your model first does some similarity-based retrieval. It finds some documents, then it grabs sentences from those documents. And then given those sentences, it runs a decomposable attention entailment model to decide if the claim is supported, refuted, or there's not enough information to decide. But so so then this setting, when you say where you have two evaluation settings, one where you first require the correct sentence to have been selected, and then one where... You ignore whether the correct sentence is collected and you just look at the label. Even in this second setting, this is comparable to the bias um, annotation artifact stuff you were talking about earlier. In the second setting, you're still looking at the corpus, right? You're not just taking the claim itself and learning a classifier on the claim given nothing else.
2: Is that right? So in the second setting where we're looking at the claim only, I trained a classifier by itself and ignored the corpus. Oh, I didn't.
0: Okay. I didn't catch that from the paper. That's interesting. I didn't know
2: that. No, sorry. Um, Which which. No, sorry. Um, are you talking about the comparison to the SNLI style hypothesis only artifacts, or are you talking about the paper? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, there were. Uh, okay. I, I didn't ask the question very well, I guess. Okay,
1: sorry.
2: Um, if we sorry. Yeah. rewind, so to follow on from your question, yep. um, the first uh, setting where we consider the label accuracy given the evidence we find is the main scoring objective for the fever task. The second, where we consider just the label accuracy, uh we don't consider it for the rankings on the shared task, but it's a it's a diagnostic indicator to see how well our classifier does given the evidence we found.
0: Yeah, great. And I, I totally agree that selecting the correct evidence is the right metric. Like the yes, definitely. Um and that's what you should use for ranking. I was just curious about annotation artifacts and to what extent they're actually there. And mm. it, it is a little bit irrelevant because you have to find the evidence too. I'm I'm just curious.
2: Yes, but if we consider just the labor three-way classification without any evidence. Uh, on our claims only, we see a similar sort of pattern. To the other annotation artifacts, okay. data sets, despite the fact we've used a different method for generating the, the annotations. Right.
0: Okay. Cool. So, how well does your baseline system work when you're when you use your full um, metric, where you're actually evaluating the evidence scoring?
2: Yeah. And um, so our Headline score is about 32% for the evidence selection score. Uh, yeah, So our headline figure is a fever score of 32%, which is conditional accuracy given the right evidence. We find if we ignore the requirement for correct evidence, our classifier does, uh, gets the, applies the right label about 52% of the time. We find that the major bottleneck here is the evidence retrieval part of our system rather than the classifier. But the way we go about training our classifier affects how it works in this noisy environment, where we take evidence from an IR system as well.
0: So, what do you think is the main bottleneck to performance? Thirty percent seems pretty low, though. I, I guess extracting the right claims seems like, it, or sorry, the right evidence for a claim. If you have a really large corpus, that could be kind of hard. So, like, what what's the main? I guess the lowest hanging fruit to improve performance here.
2: I think the easiest area for improvement. Is the evidence retrieval system? So at the moment, it's uh, it's modelled as a ranking problem, tf similarity between evidence pages and the, the claim, and by changing this system, uh, I'd expect to see the easiest gains on our final pipeline score.
0: So thirty three percent, thirty two percent seems pretty low for this kind of data set, though I guess if you have to extract evidence from a large corpus, that can be kind of challenging. So maybe it's not actually as bad as it sounds. But what, having looked at this data set and built a baseline, what do you think is the lowest hanging fruit here? Like, How would you improve a model?
2: I think the easiest area for improvement would be on the evidence retrieval system. So at the moment, we model it as a TF-IDF-based information retrieval system, but I believe there's much more smart ways to go about doing this. And then I think another compounding factor is the fact the entailment classifier is operated in a noisy environment. And so making this more resilient to noisy evidence that we've found could also be an area for improvement. Interesting. So did,
0: as we talked about earlier, the retrieval component here is entirely, like, standard IDF, kind of nothing trained, no, no real model except a threshold. Did you try experimenting with, like, even just training the sentence selector
2: given the five documents that you retrieved does that work it does and uh, it's kind of a follow up work i'm planning on releasing and okay. so so in that case we're modeling the sentence selection as a textual entailment task as well in a joint environment and there's some interesting gains but it's not as at the moment it's currently not as um, significant as gains as i have liked to have got
0: Any any teaser on numbers that that you get from this?
2: Um, Sadly, it's only a four or five percent improvement. Okay, interesting. I think yeah, the limitations here is also on the fact um, that no, with five with five only five documents, we can only fully support or refute fifty five percent of claims in our document in our system. Uh, So I definitely think that improving the initial document retrieval part of the pipeline uh, would be the easiest opportunity for gains in this case.
0: Is that 55% of those that have a supported or refuted label, or is it 50% of the total data? Um, that's those which have a supported or refuted label. Cool. You told us before the podcast that you have a shared task and a workshop coming up on this data set. Is that right? You want to tell us about it?
2: Yes. Uh, so at EMNLP 2018, we're hosting the first, extraction on fact, sorry, the first workshop on fact extraction and verification. It's called Fever, and our website is fever.ai. We're currently looking for paper submissions on topics related to information verification and information retrieval and information extraction. As well as system descriptions uh, of participants to the shared task. The deadlines are coming up very soon. So yeah, get started and work on it, I guess. Cool. Thanks.
0: This was a really interesting discussion and a nice data set. Thanks for coming on. It was nice talking to you. All right, thank you.